0: Hi, I'm Katherine Clark, and welcome to a special edition of Road Chats. Today we're chatting with Ian Thompson, president of Advanced Biofuels Canada, this country's national trade association promoting the production and use of low carbon advanced biofuels and renewable synthetic fuels. Ian has over two decades of experience in the clean fuel space, and he's here today to talk to us about biofuels, clean fuel solution, and Canada's bioeconomy. Ian, we're really delighted to have you here. Welcome to Road Chats. Thank you very much, Kathleen.
1: Uh, a delight to join you.
0: Well, this is the last of our, our special series on net zero, net possible. And we've been talking about the, the energy agnostic approaches to achieving net zero. And net zero is a a huge term, it's well known now, not just by people who are embedded within industry, but also by Canadians in general. And and what's been clear is that the bioeconomy is going to play an important role in our ability to achieve net zero. So I thought maybe what we should do is start with your thoughts on how Canada is situated in this conversation and the extent to which it's already on the cusp of seizing the opportunity at hand to reduce emissions in fuel supply.
1: The term the bioeconomy is a really big term, and I I get my hands around it by um, by really focusing down on the fuels level, and and that's relevant because transportation emissions in Canada are a really significant part of our greenhouse gas profile, and Canada is a really unique country when it comes down to looking at the opportunities from biomass to um, replace fossil fuels. We've got a a really significant world-class petrochemical sector and, and we're a significant exporter of fossil fuel, but we can really say the same about the opportunity on the bio side. We have, on the one hand, a and this is a complexity, it's going to challenge us. We have a vast, cold, partially populated country, and for which workable solutions that that work elsewhere, and people talk about what the Europeans are doing, um, but it's really hard to translate that. Um, and then on, on the other hand, though, we have you know, huge, huge buckets of, of feedstock. We've got this world-class know-how in our chemical sector and petrochemical sector, um, how to transform those biomass into low-carbon fuels. And and increasingly, those fuels are compatible with every vehicle on the road today, and they will well into the future. So that's really kind of the, the high level. You know, we've got a, a challenge in front of us when it comes to decarbonizing transportation, but we've also got some remarkable things going for us.
0: So can you talk to us about what you see moving forward? I mean, obviously, there's a big role for for federal and provincial governments to play just in terms of regulation and moving the dial on this issue in general, because it sounds like industry is there. Industry is already moving things forward. So what have federal and provincial governments committed to in terms of biofuel mandates up to this point? Have they committed anything?
1: They have. And Canada has a, a whole kind of weave of federal and provincial regulations that that cover these. And sometimes people are concerned that there's sort of overlap and we're kind of stacking all these policies and they actually can work very well together. So at the, the federal level, just last July, the clean fuel regulations or a clean fuel standard was finalized. And we are now starting to see a lot of activity in the fuel sector and from biofuel uh, and synthetic fuel producers to um, produce the fuels for us. So that regulation will follow to a good degree regulations that have been in place for well over a decade before that, starting in 2010 in California in 2013 in, in British Columbia, and then starting to, the Europeans have also taken on their form of uh, regulation, kind of the low carbon fuels. And it's really straightforward. It looks at carbon in fuels the same way that we looked at lead in gasoline and uh, sulfur and diesel, and it's a, it's a physical component of fuels. And we said we are going to reduce that carbon in fuels. And we gave the obligated parties, which are fuel suppliers, a whole lot of options on how to do it. So it's very much a largely technology neutral performance based regulation. And it just requires gradually over time. The reduction of carbon in in fuel So that's the federal regulation and it, it goes out to 2030 and what happens after 2030 remains to be seen but in British Columbia we have a, a pretty good example of, of how that works because we've had a similar form of regulation starting really a decade ahead of that in 2013 and that regulation has been um, a couple of times increased and um, moved forward as it comes close to expiring uh, and it has generated remarkable, um, success in attracting capital to British Columbia to build refineries. It's actually had a real hand in the building of the large bio-renewable uh, diesel facility that is planned by Imperial Oil in in Edmonton. So that's the impact of the federal regulation based off a of, uh, an earlier one in British Columbia. And then if you march across the country in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you find fairly traditional renewable fuel uh, mandates. They require minimum Percent content in gasoline and diesel. Ontario and Quebec have got slightly more complex regulations that bring in the idea of carbon. So they don't just say it's got to be renewable. There's some requirements around carbon. And then New Brunswick uh, and the other Atlantic provinces really don't have any form of uh, regulation at this point. 80, 85% of motive fuels are covered under the provincial regulations that I mentioned. And then, of course, you've got the overarching um, regulation. They They fit very nicely together that's really just a scan of what we have on the ground in Canada.
0: You're actually super positive about the fact that, you know, of course, different provinces have different approaches than if we have the the federal government also implementing its own its own strategies. But part of the problem with that is that you really do need to find ways to ensure that these strategies work together effectively so that they're not overlapping, so that industry can move forward effectively so that technologies can be put in place that work everywhere instead of industry needing to kind of parcel out what it does in Ontario versus what it does in BC, which in a lot of cases is just not great for business, along with not being great for the environment. So how do we design these kinds of strategies so that they don't overlap and that they do reach the end goal of achieving net zero?
1: Yeah, so interesting. You, you mentioned that you know a, a regulation in Ontario might be different from one in British Columbia and one of the the positive attributes of having kind of provincial level is you can really design the regulation to suit your economy. So um, British Columbia has a very different economic profile, a different natural resource sector, different access to things like agricultural crops, etc. So it's going to design a regulation that works for it. I think we we start to get into um, kind of Overlap and what kind of policy makes sense where when we start to bring in other policies that are happening. So, you know, right now we've got just passed in December a not called so much, but it really is a zero emission vehicle mandate for light duty cars and trucks that was kind of up to the level of pickup trucks or small urban trucks that by twenty thirty five you're going to require all of those to be turned over into some form of. Um, what I would say of a a zero emissions capable fuel doesn't guarantee that it's going to be zero emissions. So what we run into there is you, if I did have a critique of kind of how we roll out our different mandates is that you get into this discussion about, are you better to mandate a technology um, or are you better to say, well, the technology really is targeted towards something. Why don't we just mandate the outcome? And you would call that a performance standard. So in the case of zero emission standard and these are being discussed also for heavy-duty vehicle the big trucks that you see on the road um do we need to mandate um some kind of technology and and the trouble you get there is that um the technology may actually not be the most direct line toward what you're looking for which is emission reductions and so A low carbon fuel standard like the clean fuel reg federally it's a performance-based standard it doesn't tell you how you have to get there it doesn't mandate a technology it just says you have to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that come out of your fuels period um british columbia and most other regulations are the same the challenge with a, a zero emission vehicle mandate it actually disregards some technologies that can be very very low carbon or even negative carbon and it mandates things like an electric vehicle or a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. But if you put great hydrogen from natural gas in a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, you're going to get worse emissions than you do from a gasoline in the car coming out of the oil sands. So you've got to be really careful about um, how you design these. And I think that the general view is that performance-based standards are a, a superior and actually more economic form of um, reducing emissions because you are really saying to the market, you show up with the solutions that can reduce emissions versus telling the market exactly what it has to produce. And, you know, frankly, I think we're going to find ourselves in a challenge of, of having to kind of pause the clock on some of those mandates. And then that sends the whole market into turmoil. We've seen that a couple of times in our country where you kind of foot flop or you hit the pause button and um, people with big capital projects and projects underway. Um that's massively disruptive. So I think we want to choose policies that can be durable over time, that are flexible, allow lowest cost compliance options to come into the market, and at the end of the day, do what the regulations intended to do, which is to reduce emissions from carbon trucks.
0: These are such interesting points. Even one of the conversations that I've had recently has been with People who are attempting to run companies that are construction companies, especially in remote locations where they're starting to purchase also sustainable, heavy-duty construction equipment. And how do you do that with regards to these new regulations if you're in a part of the world where charging your fleet is virtually impossible in order to continue with um, your construction project? So it really does have ramifications right across you know, regular people like me charging up a car, or industry trying to to function forward. So, how do we ensure, in terms of these performance requirements, just quickly, how do we ensure that these vehicles can all function up to expectations with the use of these new clean fuels?
1: Yeah. So, when I started my work about twenty years ago, um, we didn't have a lot of experience with these fuels. They were nascent. They might have worked in other jurisdictions. Um, we might have had a fair bit of impact in the market but we really didn't know what it was going to take to roll these out on a mass yeah. scale and we had some hiccups along the way and people know about that and so you don't bring any new technology into the market without having a learning curve but the thing about those we didn't kind of mandate at really significant levels or um, you know push them hard so what as a result we the market has worked these out so You know, today you can put um, 15% alcohol called ethanol um, into pretty much um, over 95% of all the light duty vehicles on the road in Canada today. And the the US people driving those fuels, it's called E15 or 15% ethanol. They've gone well over 70 billion, that's B with a billion uh, miles over the last 10 years without any complaints about performance. And we know that because the government did a lot of testing. Um, after these cars were built to ensure they were compatible with that. You can put 20% biodiesel into a vehicle. You've got a a number of fuels now, and this is the benefit of now 20 years in North America of having been perfecting these technologies. We can now produce really completely identical chemically low carbon fuels, identical to, to gasoline and diesel. And in fact, some of them even produce an oil refinery, but made from renewable sources other than crude oil. So you're you're recycling carbon in the atmosphere instead of digging out of the ground and putting it in the atmosphere. So we have these fuels now. They're fully compatible. Um, they can perform in Canada's cold weather climate. They can sit just like gasoline and diesel or jet fuel in a, a tank. And speaking of jet fuel, we we now have fuels that can fly 50% by volume in the wing of a plane, um, if it's actually even a slightly better fuel than a, a fossil fuel, uh, jet fuel. And so we have these now and we have regulatory bodies. We have We have standard bodies like the Canadian General Standards Board that um, watch the quality and operability of these fuels very carefully. So we do have fuels today that can reduce emissions up to uh, or very close to or under 100% that are compatible with every vehicle on the road today. That's a remarkable kind of progress over the last 20 years. And the challenge really for us now is to scale those up and to broaden their reach. So we have the technologies, we got to make them grow.
0: So how do we do that? How do we make them grow so that um, this conversation in five years or 10 years, I mean, you talked about 2030 and not really knowing where things might go after that. How do we move this conversation forward?
1: We need to move forward quickly because scientists tell us that taking a ton of carbon out of the atmosphere um, this year is a whole lot more valuable to the fight against climate change than waiting for 10 years. So we can't wait for these other, you know, possibly better technologies to show up and they're going to have their own learning curve too. I think we need to have some very frank conversations about not just whether things like zero emission vehicle mandates can be realized, but if they do get delayed, what does that impact have on all of the cars and trucks that are going to still be relying on fossil fuel, we we want to have um, other options. So we need to have that conversation. Um, and and by the way, you know, a lot of people say, well, we'll fix the critical mineral problem, and we'll get recycling on batteries, and we'll bring costs down, et cetera. And there's a, a very optimistic view of all of how all the problems will be addressed. And yet, when it comes down to um, liquid fuels today, we say, well, you know, whether it's a pretty static, and they've kind of had their best days behind them, which is. So, completely um, fails to understand the dramatic innovations that are happening in our industry. So, what do we need to do? We need certainty that Canada is serious about producing these fuels. We have about 4 billion liters today of production capacity uh, on these fuels in Canada. We, that is going up very quickly. Um, That will be doubling in the next couple of years, tripling um, as new facilities come online to produce fuels. There's a catch, though. The Americans realize that investing in clean fuels is not just good for climate and to diversify fuels for more competitiveness. It's it's an economic development policy, a huge industrial development policy. And so with something called the Inflation Reduction Act last year, the Americans are are really um, incenting and supporting the the production of, of those clean fuels in America. And for some design reasons around the way they've structured it, it's going to be um, make our industry uncompetitive. And so I think it's really imperative that our federal government, in the same way they've supported electric vehicles, in the same way that they're pouring billions of dollars into carbon capture and storage, in the way that they're pouring billions of dollars into hydrogen, Clean fuels compatible with cars and trucks on the road today. Very low carbon fuels also need support because the need for those fuels is not going away. We're going to have internal combustion engines of every type on the road for decades. And we can't just pretend that those don't need to be addressed. So Canada's got some work to do budget 2024, um, which will be coming up in, you know, in, in March or April. Pretty critical that our whole sector gets a signal so that that four billion liters of existing biofuel capacity and the billions of leaders that are going to be coming online in the next couple of years, that they get a really clear signal from our um, government that it's just not walking away from this sector. It really is important to produce more of those domestic low-carbon fuels.
0: This is a great point on which to end the conversation. It's been a fascinating discussion. I really appreciate your time with us today on Road and Thompson. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks so much, Catherine. Have a great tape.
0: Well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can listen and subscribe to Road Chats presented by National Energy Equipment anywhere you find your podcasts. I'm Katherine Clark. Until next time.